We all know kids love their snacks, but finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that won't break the bank isn't always easy. That's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids love the Lara bars, seaweed snacks, and the skinny dip dark chocolate almonds. But Thrive Market is so much more than snacks. They also have organic and essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products, and clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues, where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. I'm always trying to get more fruits and vegetables and real foods in my kids' diets, but between school, work, sports, and everything else we have going on, I don't have a lot of time. I need simple, easy kitchen appliances that can help me save time. And the one that I can't do without is the Vitamix. When I received it as a Christmas present a few years ago, I admit I was skeptical because I already had a blender. But the first time I used it, I was hooked. Unlike other blenders, the Vitamix blends everything up into a super smooth consistency, much like a juicer would, except you get all the nutritious fiber that regular juicers leave behind. And what I love most about the Vitamix is that it isn't just for smoothies. Every Vitamix has an entire range of textures to choose from, so you can use it to make dips and spreads, nut and seed butters, hummus and guacamole, muffins, pizza dough, plant-based milk, and frozen treats. Vitamix has been around for 70 years and all of their blenders are powerful, durable, and built to last. And they come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com shop and click on Vitamix. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. Picky eating is by far one of the biggest challenges we face as parents. And although it's reassuring when pediatricians and experts say it's normal, we never ask why. If a kid can't touch the food, if a kid can't interact with the food, smell the food, that kid will not be able to eat the food. That's Marina Chaparro, a nationally recognized registered dietitian, kids nutritionist, and diabetes expert. Marina is the founder of NutraChicos, a bilingual nutrition practice and author of Pregnancy and Diabetes, a real-life guide for women with type 1, type 2, and gestational diabetes. We'll talk about the science behind picky eating, how food preferences are formed, if kids will grow out of it, and offer easy ways to get your kids to be healthy eaters. Like every episode of Food Issues, we'll take a deep dive into the research around picky eating and give you easy tips you can start using today. 
Hi, Marina. Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. So happy to be here, Julie. Thanks for inviting me and talking about my favorite topic, toddlers, picky eating, feeding kids in general. <laughs> oh, great, great. I'm so excited. So I know, you know, you and I worked together many moons ago when I was writing for Fox News and I actually dug up a story that we worked on together for Everyday Health. It was about, is the vegan diet good for diabetes? And we, t- we talked about, we did a story about um, how to manage diabetes during pregnancy. And I know that you have, is it type one diabetes that you have? Correct. Correct. So um, I'm a certified diabetes educator and a registered dietitian. And uh, I, I live with type one. I've had type one diabetes since I was 17. So that's partly the one of the reasons and my motivators behind really just doing what I do. And, and I recently published a book on pregnancy and diabetes with the American Diabetes Association because I have two uh, young daughters. One is four and the other is two and a half. So I kind of can speak from from both the patient perspective, the mom perspective, but but also the professional. Excellent. Yeah. So I have two daughters myself and I know that life is crazy with them. <laughs> but yes. um, yeah, yeah. They they talk a lot, right? I don't know if your daughters talk your ear off. What all day. ages are your daughters? <laughs> They're 10 and 8. Oh God. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Girls are chatty. Girls are all chatty. Um yeah. I'm just surprised by just everything that they absorb and and really also the phases, like we're, we might be talking about this, but I'm also going through a phase with my daughter, the two and a half, which, which, you know, it's partly kind of expected. Uh, but yeah, it's not easy sometimes as a parent, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive right into talking about kids and picky eaters. So as a professional, when you see families in your practice, what do you see as the most common challenges uh, when it comes to feeding their kids? I mean, I, I would say probably the number one concern would be definitely around the topic of my kids don't eat a specific food, particularly fruits and vegetables. Right. Um, just, just a concern of, you know, they have a poor diet priority or, or they're refusing certain things. I think that is, is part of it. And, and also I think a concern, especially now with the pandemic of, you know, overweight or weight issues, but I think an underlying problem with this is that they don't necessarily accept a lot of fruits and vegetables. Plus, they might have some weight issues. So how do you how do you deal both? So it's never just kind of like one issue. It's usually a combination. But I would say, you know, the number one question that I get is, you know, how do I get my kids to try new food, to eat fruits, to eat veggies? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we hear a lot about the word, the, the term picky eating, but what is it exactly? You know, it's, it's, I was, I was looking and up a lot of the literature, you know, there's not a, a consensus really. There's not, this is the precise definition that you're going to find on the medical diagnosis, but really it's more so an unwillingness to want to eat both familiar food and unfamiliar food that might lead them to have, you know, a limited variety of food. Um, that is the general consensus. Um, but I think there's also a lot of things we still don't know about picky eating or how do you define picky eating? But I think in general, you'd say just an unwillingness, a refusal to try uh, and eat unfamiliar foods. Okay. But you mentioned familiar food, so it could go that way as well. And it's, it's, it could also be familiar foods. So for example, they used to eat this and now they don't like it. And so I get a lot of parents 
that when kids hit around like two years of age or even one and a half that they're, you know, they're, they've, they've done the complimentary feeding and they're like, oh, they ate everything. I used to give them beans and avocado and, you know, you name it. But now when they're a year and a half, they're refusing it. So they have been familiar since they were six months plus, but all of a sudden they're refusing it. So it could go both. It could go for foods that they have tried and they like, and then as well as, you know, they've never tried this and they're very unwilling to try it. Okay. So I was reading an article that you were quoted in and you said that picky eating is normal developmental behavior. So is this something that we should all expect of our kids around toddler age? Yes. I mean, I I think uh, once I really understood how common it is, and when I say developmental, I think it also has to do with the stage that particularly toddlers go through. So there's developmental picky eating that usually spikes between a year and a half to four years. And what happens in this stage is what? Is they're really craving that independence. Is they're no longer just sitting in, in, in that high chair and you're feeding them all the time. Um, they can now maybe speak. They can now walk. So they're now really those independent, strong-willed people. And along with this is their desire to really have some sense of control. And that's when we're going to see some of these, no, 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 I don't want this, or me, me, me. So I think that is why it's also developmental. Um, and I think it's, again, we're, we're going to be speaking about like a normal, you know, picky eating. We're not going to be talking about an extreme picky eating, and we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, but I think if parents really understood that this might happen, and this is maybe a better way of reacting to it, I think there'd be a lot more ease. Sometimes I explain it like, oh, you know, when your baby uh, starts seeing strangers and they develop stranger anxiety, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, my, my, my baby went through that. I'm like, oh, yeah, they kind of expect it. I kind of say the same thing of, you know, just be mindful that this may happen, that, that your toddler will say the words, no, 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 will start refusing foods that may, they might have accepted before, and this is what you could do. And I think it's just, again, that information that, oh, this might happen. It's not my fault. I am not being a bad parent, uh, but this is something that is just part of their normal childhood development. Right. And It's interesting, right? Because like you said, we sort of as parents expect that our kids are going to go through the terrible twos and they're going to go through all these different phases. But I see so many parents posting on these picky eating boards, especially on Facebook, and they just they it seems like they feel like they're all alone and, you know, their kid is just so different and it's such a source source of frustration. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we just don't kind of talk about this more? Like, no, it's actually normal. This is what you're going to go through. I mean, that's, that's a great question because I think parents, we don't, we really don't have a lot of information. And I also think that a lot of pediatricians and healthcare providers, I think they also don't have a lot of information because when they just say, oh, it's normal. Oh, it's normal. Okay, great. It's normal. But what do I do? I mean, tell me more than just, you know, oh, it's normal. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's still a lot of confusion, a lot of lack of information. Um, and I think nowadays, I mean, just in general, speaking from, a, from an RV perspective, food is everywhere. I mean, 
Uh, just this obsession about, you know, this food or that food or, and food talk and diet. I think just with this complete over bombardment of information, I think, you know, we, we might just go to Google and say, OK, what's going on here? And we might get more frustrated um, and study. I mean, there's some statistics that show that even up to 25 percent of, of all kids may go through some type of picky eating. Um, again, it de- depends on how you define really picky eating, and, because there are some studies that say that even up to 50 percent of kids and, and this is usually around anywhere from two years of age to like four to five years of age. This is when it is heightened. This is when it's really, you know, exacerbated just because of of where their development is. And then by six, seven uh, years of age, we might see, you know, a decline. Okay, so there's also something called food neophobia. So what does that mean? And what's the difference between that and what we sort of categorize as picky eating? So they kind of go together, right? They're just kind of really they're interrelated. Uh, But really food neophobia is a fear of of just new or unfamiliar foods. Um, A lot of picky eaters will go through some type of food neophobia. And to some degree, food neophobia could be, you know, part of a normal development in a child. And so food neophobia, again, it usually would see it happen between two years of age to four years of age that they're like, huh, I don't know if I trust this vegetable. Like there might be a texture thing. It might be a color thing. It might be a smell thing. But some of that is normal, right? What is not normal is, is and, and we can talk about that, is when that food neophobia really becomes something else or that picky eating really becomes something else that, you know, they're not growing, that, you know, it, you're seeing a lot more anxiety towards food. It's really, really limited uh, food biarity, that it's less than 20 foods that they're really accepting. So I think, you know, again, food, neo, food neophobia is going to go hand in hand with picky eating. Um, and part of it could be normal, but what is not normal is when it's becoming something else, when there's a decline in growth, when, you know, they're, they're really specific to a brand and they can only get French fries from, you know, McDonald's or Wendy's or nothing else. So I think there is a difference and it could be, you know, there is an underlying condition or diagnosis or, um, you know, something else that is not just a natural type of food neophobia or picky eating. Okay, great. So there's some fascinating research that shows that picky eating is evolutionary. Can you talk about that? Yeah, this is this is just uh, just fantastic. Uh, I mean, and there's theories behind the adaptive trait, uh, and and I think there is. In general, humans tend to prefer a sweet taste compared to a bitter taste. And the reason is that, you know, there's an evolutionary preference to a sweet taste because we were born, again, to preference uh, breast milk, or which is sweet. And we were also, we have that evolutionary trait to really dislike bitter taste because it's meant to uh, maybe protect us from unfamiliar food that could potentially be toxic. Um, and they've even seen this uh, with with some animal studies and rats and rodents. 
Uh, so there, there is some evolutionary preference of, you know, why we prefer sweet uh, food because it is innate in, in breast milk. And that's something that we prefer. And bitter food, a.k.a. could be associated with maybe poisonous food or, or toxic food. And we're kind of um, wired to maybe dislike it. So, yes, there is there is a difference. And, and there's some research that's that that's fascinating to kind of explain those theories. OK, so, Marina, your mom, like you said, of two little girls, and I think people often think that uh, RDNs are these perfect eaters and their kids eat everything they put in front of them. Are your kids picky eaters? Do they eat everything? What is it like in your house? So it's it's interesting. It's interesting to live in my house. And it depends on what day it is. It depends on what week it is. It depends how <laughs> old they are. So like I always say, I mean, eating is a learned behavior and, and it's about learning to eat. So there is, uh, you know, there's ups and downs and two steps forward and one step back because it's really a journey, right? It's not a destination to say they need to be eating broccoli, Brussels sprouts by age three, right? I think sometimes it's it's us moms that have these expectations on what they should and what they shouldn't. And and I always love this this really anecdote to say learning to like vegetables and new foods is like learning to ride a bike. Right. You're right. first you might you might fall. You might not like it. Um, there's going to be some struggles in it, uh, but we're going to keep on going and, and it's not going to happen overnight. So, again, it's not there's no competition. There's no timeline. Um, I think if some a lot of a lot of kids might accept fruits and and, you know, it, there's fantastic nutrition and, and, and great amount of nutrients in fruits just like there are in vegetables. So I think a lot of maybe this worry, what I've come to, to, to experience in my practice is sometimes our own expectations of what we expect our own children, um, of maybe the messages that we have around there or, or whether or not we're comparing them to other kids. So I think once we learn to acknowledge kind of, wait, why am I so obsessed that they eat broccoli? Like, what is it with broccoli? Well, they're eating raspberries, they're eating, you know, kale, they're eating other things. Um, but just going back to your question, I think, uh, how is it in my house? Uh, I think I've learned a lot about feeding kids with my own kids. And, you know, now my four-year-old is really an adventurous eater. She's, she's on the thin side. She's never been, you know, a huge portion girl. So I've also had to deal with my own kind of worries of, oh, my God, are you eating enough? Is this enough for you? And I talk a lot about that on on kind of my social media. But but I've really focused on very early exposure of all different types of fruits, whether they eat them or not. And I think that's been huge in my household uh, to, again, to create that curiosity. Um, And and they help me a lot in the kitchen. And, but also I even I even have this anecdote that I, I really wanted for my daughters to be exposed to mushrooms because we eat mushrooms a lot and we would do a pizza. We would do, you know, pasta. And every time I would give them to her, nothing. She would touch them. She would just kind of, you know, play with it. But nothing. She would not eat it. Julie, it took me probably like two years 
Wow. We, we were in her house. <laughs> she was cutting up some some mushrooms as she usually did. And all of a sudden, boop, she just ate it. And Great. my face was just like, wow. <laughs> so when I say that it might take a while, that it is a journey, I yeah. mean, I'm not lying. Yeah. I'm not lying. Um, but I think, thankfully, my, my kids, you know, they eat a good variety. Of course, there's horrible days that they don't eat anything and there's great days. Um, but rather than just being focused on what they eat or what they don't eat, I think my main concern is what is their relationship with food? How do they see foods? How are my meal times? Are they enjoying it versus is she eating the strawberry or not? That's right. Right. So the less pressure you put on your kids, the, the more willing potentially they will be to accept those healthy foods. Uh, you, you know, uh, the often there's an often cited research, I think it was from the AAP that shows that it could take eight to 15 repeated exposures. But um, what do you think about that? Because you hear you're saying two years. I mean, that's a long time, but hey, stick with it. Stick with it. I think that's again, it's it's Another mentality that I have is they don't like it yet. Uh huh. They right. don't like it yet. So again, when we don't put a timeline, it puts less pressure on us and on our kids. And in fact, there is a lot of research that shows that parental feeding practices can worsen picky eating. So what we do know is that parents that are more restrictive, more controlling of their kids' diets tend to have more picky eaters. So a a, a less willingness to try fruits and veggies. So that is something we do know that maternal practices do affect kind of how our kids react towards food and even how our kids taste food. So the less pressure we can have, and what I always say is, you know, kids are natural explorers. Mm -hmm. Kids are, are curious by nature. Is my job as an RD focused on in pediatrics is how can I give parents the skills and the strategies so they can cultivate that curiosity. They can shift those kind of perspectives and those fights into kind of learning opportunities and and really exposing them in a positive way. And I think that's sometimes where we get stuck because we don't get that advice. We're just like, okay, it's normal, but my meal time's are super stressful and I can't stand eating with my kids, what do I do? <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that's great. So we're going to take a break right now, Marina. People often ask me how I got my kids to be such healthy eaters. And the truth is that one of the best things I did was bring them in the kitchen with me to cook. And research actually shows that kids who learn how to cook eat more fruits and vegetables are more willing to try new foods and have healthier diets overall. If you don't know how to cook or don't like to cook, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. The course, which was created by a mom of four and former teacher, is designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. The course is designed for all kids ages 2 to teen and has three different skill levels. Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, 
make a salad and safely use knives, the oven and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that they even made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you're trying to cut down on processed foods and get your kids to eat more real whole foods and become healthy eaters, then the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. You can sign up for the course by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up today. So in our last segment, we were talking about repeated exposures and creating a positive food environment in your home and and not putting the pressure on your kids to eat. And so now let's talk about food preferences, because that is a big part of picky eating and uh, how kids you know, decide what they like and what they don't. And so how do our food preferences, how are our food preferences formed? So I think there's a lot of components in terms of food preferences. There are studies that say, you know, genetics might be involved. Um, there's even some studies that are trying to understand a little bit more of, is there a picky eating gene? So maybe kids that are more sensitive to a bitter taste preference, um, and which I think is, again, fantastic. And just I see it also in my practice is parents who grew up or who had more difficulty trying new foods, you know, their kids might be the same. So again, we know there is some genetic component, but also, you know, food presence, food preferences are super cultural. They're, they're environmental, they're personal, uh, just like there's individual taste in, in fashion, there's individual taste in food. Um, so I think there's many factors that can impact um, our food preferences. But what I certainly believe is that for most of us, I think for the majority of us, eating is something that we learn. Eating is something that we see. Um, I think there is interesting studies to say how are our genes you know, affecting that. And I, I do think there is a genetic component because sometimes we see it with one kid will eat everything and super willing to try. And and that could also be personality traits. And then the other sibling, which grew up in the same household, which has the same, you know, foods presented might be totally different. Um, Again, that might not mean that in five years they won't be at the same place, but it's maybe even understanding how to deal with it or, or, you know, how to maneuver that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when we say genetics, though, I mean, is it really more of a learned behavior or it's actually could, or there's theories that it actually could be passed on in our genes? Correct. So there, there's both. Um, definitely. Yeah. We know that modeling, you know, what parents seed will definitely influence what you eat. Uh, we also know some very interesting studies that point to the most early exposures to food, which is in embryo, right? So pregnant women. What 
you eat in pregnancy could impact how your kid later on perceives food and even accepts food. Uh, so that is just fascinating on how maybe breast milk or in the amniotic fluid that can even affect you know taste preferences and maybe um, uh, leaning more into accepting them if if we we're introduced to them at a very early age. Um, so that's an interesting study, but it's really also some of it preliminary could be genetics and really studying particular genes. Um, and I think it was like the TC123 that was a gene related to how bitterness taste is perceived and accepted. And maybe some kids that tend to be picky might have a heightened gene, uh, which could explain why they might refuse more foods. Uh, but, you know, there's also sensory uh, issues and, and texture issues that for some kids, they might have a harder time accepting. Um, so, it, again, it's a multifaceted uh, approach and, and, and factors that, that come into what is called picky eating. It's it's fascinating. It makes you think that maybe in, you know, 10, 20 years, there's going to be a genetic test to determine whether your kid's going to be a picky eater or not and what you can do about it. Right. <laughs> if, and I, I, yes, I mean, that would be fantastic. But I think it's there should be just more information in general on on how how can we create the best environment just for all kids? Um, because I think I'll be that might not be the majority of kids. Um, and I'm also interested. Um, there's there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's a book called Why French Kids Eat Everything, which yeah. is a fantastic book, and I love it. And also, I think there's cultural differences, but absolutely, uh, in how different cultures see food and the food experience. So why is it that in France, maybe kids, you know, might have a healthier relationship with food, uh, and parents really are proud to say, you know, my kid eats the same things I eat. There is no such thing as a kid menu. So there's less social influence on, you know, kid menu and chicken nuggets, but there's a higher regard to eating, you know, more complex food, savory food, because again, French cuisine. So definitely there's an entire cultural component, how we perceive food in one culture versus another. Right, right. And I think eating habits tie into that as well. I'm, I'm a, an Italian American. And as a kid, you know, whether it was said or implied, there was definitely always this feeling that, well, first of all, food was always there. And if you didn't have food out when guests came over, it was as though you had, you know, you didn't have good manners. Um, wow. But as a child, I mean, there was definitely that expectation that I was to at least try what was given, whether I was hungry or not. And I talk to my daughters about that now because I feel like they've maybe been in situations with they've seen other families that we've been with um, where they were told you have to take another bite or you have to finish your meal before you can have dessert. And um, we were actually in one situation once we were with friends and um, a friend of ours was coercing another friend's child to you know, if you finish this pasta, then you can have dessert. And it was, it was disturbing to me. Um, 
And I've talked to my girls about this, that we will never, ever make them eat. You know, you decide, you know, we decide what you're going to eat and then you decide if you want it and how much. Um, so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's definitely culture is a big part of this for sure. So let's talk about babies and, and taste buds and food preferences. So are babies born able to accept all foods or do they have sweet preferences or, or aversions for certain foods and tastes and textures? I think, again, from what we know from the literature, there's definitely a component to prefer sweet taste um, because, again, there's an adaptive, natural preference to breast milk. You know, that is what's going to sustain them. And that's also coming from, from an animal study and an animal point of view. Um, and, again, the theory behind this is that Bitter, we're going to dislike bitter taste because that is protecting us from from potential toxins, which was an adaptive, um, you know, trait that that happened many years ago. But again, with that said, you know, that is part of our makeup and and, and maybe what what babies and and what all humans have. But it's not going to be the determinant. So, for example, sometimes I, I get, you know, parents that say, oh, you know, Babies will like sweet things. So don't introduce fruits initially. Just always start with veggies. So I think this is where we could take one study and kind of take it to the extreme because albeit that is part of our mechanism. That doesn't mean, you know, we're just going to be obsessed with fruits and we're never, ever going to like a vegetable. So how dare you introduce fruits initially? Um, you know, so right. I think it's just understanding that, yes, there is an evolutionary, you know, explanation of why maybe we prefer things, but that doesn't mean we're not going to expose them to different things. Um, just in bringing it back home, just because they make a weird face when they're six months old, that doesn't mean they're never, ever going to like it. You know, right. they're learning to eat. We're we're teaching them how to eat um, and, and they're learning to, you know, develop those taste buds and, and, and say, oh, so when I do this with this, it tastes differently and it's a texture thing and they're learning oral motor skills. So, you know, it's, it's a learned behavior. Yeah. Just like any other behavior we want to instill in our kids. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So how do you, we talked a little bit about picky eating and what it really is. But how do you know if your kid's really a picky eater or they just have, you know, different food preferences? I mean, I think this, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I always say if, if you're definitely frustrated and if this is coming to a point that you're like, my meal times are being really stressful, I'm constantly, you know, fighting with them or, or saying stuff like you were mentioning, like just have one more bite. I think this is the reason for you to see a registered dietitian or somebody that can help you. Because if you're frustrated, probably mealtimes are becoming frustrated. And I, I think it, it goes back down to what, what, what are parents' expectations? Uh, so sometimes I see parents and they say, you know, they just don't want to eat anything. And then we go through a food history and I'm like, oh my God, they're eating eggs. They're eating this type of soup. They're eating meat. They're eating... And I was like, what do you mean they don't eat anything? <laughs> so I think as parents sometimes, or they might say, they just don't eat enough protein. And I'm like, well, actually, this is how much a protein needs, uh, a protein, a toddler needs for protein. It might be one egg, 
and maybe two chicken nuggets. We're like, what? Oh, oh, my kid might eat like five chicken nuggets. And I'm like, so it's part of that education that we don't know what we don't know. Um, But I think if you're becoming worried, if you're getting stressed, I think that's the time to seek help, whether there's quote unquote, an official diagnosis or not, because what parents do or fail to do during the two to five years of age can really set the stage for those preferences and those picky eaters to remain as so, or really just to adapt and move along. Yeah. You know, what I find really concerning is when I see parents post about having a picky eater kid, and then it seems like they just accept it. You know, as I think mm-hmm. as a generation of moms, we just accept that our kids are going to be picky eaters and then they give up. And that's really sad to me because what you're saying is you can really affect healthy eating habits early on if you're just consistent with them, right? It, and I'll, I'll say this example, which is one of my favorites. In France, and this, this entire book talked about it, that said, do you ever say, oh, my kid just doesn't know how to read? You know, she just, she just, she wasn't a fan. You know, we tried, we tried to read, but she was like, oh, she wasn't into it. So she doesn't really know how to read. Yeah. Right. So we would never say anything like that. Right. Right? Because that is just totally unacceptable. Um, So I think the same thing goes with what you were saying. It's sometimes we just like, oh, you know, they just don't like veggies or they just only like French fries. Ah, Okay. Um, and, and there's nothing else, but I think that's part of the culture that we're in. It's just like, okay, we're with, okay with them just eating chicken nuggets and French fries, because that is what they see all the time. So I guess that is okay. Right. Um, and it goes, it, it goes beyond that. It's, it, again, it's talking about, you know, what's normal for kids. It's normal for them to dislike certain things and you might introduce them three times. They won't like it. It doesn't mean they're never, ever, ever going to like it. You just need to have a strategy or do things a different way um, and get support. Okay. Okay. Great. So what are some different ways that picky eating can manifest itself? There's many different ways. I mean, I've seen kids that are very, and and for most kids, I would say there's a sensory component. Okay. Um, There might have a heightened sensibility for, for texture. So for example, sometimes they don't like to get themselves really dirty, right? Or, or, or they have a constant fixation of, you know, wiping their face or, you know, they, they don't like to get their fingers icky or, or, you know, again, that might even go to maternal feeding practices, which is why I say moms, let them get dirty. Like let them really get their hands, their face dirty. And I have some moms that, you know, they, they, they really like them to be clean and, and, and are like clean freaks themselves, which is contradictory to really that kid learning about sensory, about eating, about smells, because it's not just the act of eating. It's about touching, smelling. Um, so that is probably the, the one that I see the most. Um, there's a, a heightened sense of odor for some kids that they just, if they make it, they, they just can't even be in the same room if they're preparing it. So how do we solve this is, is really to have positive experiences, not in the table, but rather outside of the dinner table to get them exposed. Um, so if a kid can't 
touch the food, if a kid can't interact with the food, smell the food, that kid will not be able to eat the food. So when I start doing some practical, you know, activities is get your kid to just wash the broccoli. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 no. They they can't even wash the broccoli. I was like, well, let's start there. How are you expecting them to eat it if they can't even touch it? Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of what feeding therapy or feeding therapists might do with, with a lot of these kids is really work from all of their sensory aspects. And get them familiarized and saying, oh, this is how it feels. This is how it smells. This is how it might feel in my mouth to minimize the fear and the anxiety. That's great. I love that. Yeah. So get your kids in the kitchen with you. That's one of the best ways to get them out of their picky eating. Yes. That's great. So a reassuring tone here. Are Will kids eventually grow out of picky eating? So... One of the studies that I looked at said that, yes, around 20 to 25% of kids are picky eating and about 25% of these kids will remain picky eating even as adults. Okay. So again, I think it really comes down to what parents do um, and to help them have a positive relationship with food. And I do think that for the majority of kids, quote unquote, they will grow out of it. But I don't, I still want them to have a good experience with it because then that could impact, you know, their own relationship with food or, you know, their emotional eating with certain types of food. And, and again, we might indirectly place a moral value with food. So when they are adolescents or teenagers, or, you know, they might resort to you know, the sweets, because we always use sweets as a reward for good behavior. So they're naturally going to want sweets for their coping mechanism. So I think, you know, the term growing out of it is a little, you know, confusing because yes, they will grow out of it, but I want them to grow out of it successfully and positively so they can have a healthy and positive relationship with food moving past the six years. Great. So why don't you go ahead and tell me all of your best tips for coping with picky eating and getting kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters? Oof, we could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I think there's, there's some basics, right? And I think one of the first ones that we talked about is about exposure. Um, and f- for many parents, you know, we might present them a few times and just fail to continue presenting a specific food because we know they're not going to eat it. So we're like, why do I keep on presenting, you know, the carrots if I know they're not going to eat it? So what ends up happening is that they never see a carrot until they're 10 years old. <laughs> right. So regardless of if they eat it or not, I want something that is new or quote unquote unfamiliar. So always, always, always presenting that new item, whether or not they are eating it. I think that's one exposure. Um, I think also it's focusing more on the experience rather than the food. So what do I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of research that says just eat as a family, right? Eat as a family. Um, And sometimes I go as basic as that and say, you know, they're, they're already focused on, you know, the broccoli and the kale and oh my God, Marina, help me get them eat raspberries. And I'm like, okay, but we're all eating on a TV 
tray in front of the TV. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So forget, forget all the food. I just want you to turn around and eat as a family with the TV turned off. Right. So focusing more on the how you eat, not on the what you eat can be such a critical factor because kids remember. And, and, you know, sometimes my interactions with, with my clients say, Oh mom, I would really like it. It'd be great if you could join us for dinner. And when moms and dads hear this, they're like, Oh my God, I, I didn't know it mattered to them. Mm-hmm. And it matters a lot. So family meals and focusing on, on the, on the how, not the what exposure is huge. And lastly, it's really going to be about positive interactions with meals. So whether you want to invite them to the kitchen, right? So kitchen is not off grounds. And yes, that might mean a messier kitchen. That might mean, you know, it's just going to be one of those crazy days. Um, But we're creating those opportunities for curiosity, whether it's we're taking them to the supermarket with us or, you know, even can you help me put the table um, can you help me put the broccoli where it should be or the banana on the counter? But it's those positive interrelationships with food, not just on the dinner table, but outside of the dinner table that will be humongous. Such a good point. My older daughter, she's 10 years old. And years ago, she fell into some picky eating around fruit, just had loved eating berries any kind of fruit, really, and then refused to eat them. I have no idea why. And then so it's went on for months, just couldn't get her to eat berries. And we um, she went with her grandmother in Delaware to pick blueberries. And that was it. She loved them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think providing those novel experiences, even having a play date with another kid who eats healthy or Having dinner with grandparents who eat healthy can just be that switch that really helps. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is I think I think you'll find this when your kids go to school full time is that you can really have so much control over them when they're at home and they can eat really healthy at home. But once they go to school and they see kids eating packaged snacks all day long, that is one of the biggest obstacles. And I know my kids, you know, my older daughter in particular, just she feels deprived. She feels like I'm a bad mom. Um, So I try to, you know, include those in in balanced ways. Um, But that's a hard one, because when all the other kids are eating Lunchables and goldfish at, at lunchtime, your kid wants it. So what do you do? You raise such a good point. And I think that's, that's what parenting is all about. I think it's giving them the tools so they can learn for themselves and they can have that healthy relationship with food. So how do you get that balance between, I don't want you to feel deprived that every time you're at a play date and you see, you know, goldfish, you're like, you know, going crazy. Uh, but at the same time, that's not something that I necessarily would have all the time at home. So how do you balance that? Um, and I think depending on the age, you know, saying, yeah, some kids might have those type of snacks. We can have them occasionally, but that's not something that we have at home. Or even I would even say normalizing it. So sometimes that I, that's what I do with my kids. They're they're now into the gummy bears, the gummy bear phase and any type of gummy. They're like, wow, wow, wow. 
And so if I notice they're becoming a little, quote unquote, too obsessed with it, I might bring it home. Uh I might bring it home and I would, you know, give them that option as a snack. So I always give them two options. And I would say, do you want the gummy bears or do you want the yogurt and the fruit? So this exercise is really important because in essence, you are normalizing the gummy bears. You're saying this is equal to this yogurt and fruit. Um, You can have that, but I am still the one parent that is giving you the options. It is not the other way around. It is not that you just say, mom, you know, what is from on the menu? Um, So I think those exercises of normalizing, quote unquote, certain desired foods is also really healthy because it, it removes them the sense of deprivation. So when they are at a birthday party, when they are at school, they're like, oh, yeah, I sometimes haven't. Right. Um, so it's really Great. it's those boundaries and those healthy limits that we have to do that are challenging as parents. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's great advice. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was uh, parents feeling like they're in a competition. And I think you recently posted on Instagram about this. And I thought it was brilliant um, how we feel like, you know, maybe you can say it better, Marina, but I know you talked about this, how we feel like we're in competition with other parents because we want our kids to eat the broccoli. And um, that's really important, right? To kind of overcome that. That I think as, as a parent, I think nowadays, you know, moms in particular, we have a lot of you know, pressure is whether we put it on ourselves, whether it's the world or, or, or you name it. But I've even had moms that have been so honest with me. And when I say, you know, why do you want, why are you so worried that your child doesn't eat, you know, broccoli? You know, what's, what's behind that fear? And they might say stuff like, oh, you know, he goes to a quote unquote, very, you know, um, liberal type of school, very like hippie type of school, and everybody eats a certain way. So I don't want to be judged as a parent. Mm, So sad. So I think that is real. I think that Mm -hmm. is a very honest, that is a very, you know, prevalent type of judgments that we have, that we feel we're a bad parent or a good parent, whether our kid likes broccoli or not. And I think we need to take that morality out. I think, you know, our parents' skills are not defined by what our kid eats because right. eating could be transitionary. It could be evolving. It could be changing. Um, and so it's, again, it's, it's not a competition. And I think it's once you understand, you know, what are you afraid of? Like, why are you so hyped up of X, Y, and Z? You'll have a deeper understanding. And I think a lot of that anxiety will, will maybe start to dwindle. Yeah. Yeah. I think in our house, we, we have a lot of anxiety around weight because both my husband and myself on both sides of our family, we have a lot of family members who, um, were, are are obese, overweight, Mm -hmm. dealt with heart disease, chronic health conditions. And I think that's a real fear. Um, trying to raise kids who have a healthy relationship with food. Do you often find that with your, with your clients? So it's, it's, I love that you mentioned that, Julie, because one of the first questions that I ask my clients is, what are you afraid of? You know, tell me a little bit about those fears, because I've I've realized also as a mom that we all have fear. You know, we all have you know our own unique relationship that we had with food, whether, you know, we were overweight and we struggled or whether we were really thin and we always had to be drinking these disgusting shakes or, 
you know, there's history of diabetes or obesity. I mean, those are normal and valid fears to have. But I think when we're reacting based on those fears, that is, that is the harm, the harming, the harmful part. Uh, but once you understand those fears and we can say, okay, let me not be just driven by this fear. Um, and I'll just give you a quick example in my house. So my daughter has always been, they've always been super thin, uh, always like in the fifth percentile, but my husband was the same. Uh-huh. I was the same. Like uh-huh. we were always very, very thin people. And so when my first daughter was born and she was always in like the fifth, sixth percentile, you know, I was like, oh my God. And it was fear that was overcoming me. And I was trying to push food and I was kind of like really, again, my fear was, was getting the best of me. And when I said, you know what, Raina, this is who she is. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's relax. Let's remove the fear out of it. And let's trust your kid and, and trust in my skills as a parent. And that's when really things started to, to change. And, and those positive relationships ha- started to happen. And, and, you know, I felt, I felt so much better. Great, great. Yeah. So the message there is just relax, back off. Everything's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me ask you, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes parents, you have clients will come to you um, with their picky eating kids. So how do you know if you really should go and seek help or if if you can manage it on your own? So part of the assessment that we we do that I do is, you know, we talk about, you know, what's a typical day and and how many foods uh, your kid eats and what's the reaction towards certain things. So that's when we start talking about maybe other developmental delays might happen to say, oh, you know, they're actually in speech therapy or or yes, actually, he's never really wanted to touch the sand or he really has the thing with with. Um, uh, with being barefoot or, you know, there's certain red flags that throughout my years, I've kind of said, huh, can we, can you tell me a little bit more about this? And so based really on, on that first visit that we talk about, you start to understand, okay, he eats like 30 plus foods. It's more so just a few things here and there, or it's actually more to do with the schedules, or it's actually more to do with parents kind of always having another option available. And it's, again, it's more behavioral modification other, and it's not an oral motor issue, a GI issue, an intolerance issue, a growth issue. So when I start seeing the latter, there's a lot more work that we need to do. And I might refer them to a feeding specialist, an occupational therapist, or a feeling and swallowing uh, evaluation. Well, that's all great information and advice, Marina. Tell me where can listeners go to learn more about these food issues and about you? So I am always on Instagram at NutriChicos, um, and I'm about to have a online course focused on, you know, transforming kids' nutrition and, and really raising healthy eaters that could eat broccoli to sushi. Uh, so I will let you know when that is open and when that is ready. But yes, at NutriChicos or on my website, www.nutrichicos.com. So I'm always there to help parents, you know, just raise healthy eaters that that love food and, and have a healthy relationship with food. That's my motto. Definitely. And we'll link to all of those um, places in our show notes. Marina, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Julie, as always. Thank you.
That was such a great interview with Marina Chaparro. I hope you walked away with a new understanding of picky eating and got some realistic changes you can make to get your kids to be healthy eaters. Make sure you subscribe so you won't miss any of the episodes. And if you're already subscribed and you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love it if you could take a second, go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating so that we can reach more people. I'm Julie Revelon, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. You can connect with me on julierevelon.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 